Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we come humbled by our deep need and our many, many needs before you, our own personal needs where we see the depth of our uh, perhaps spiritual uh, need or sin that we may be struggling with or, or trouble that we may be walking through or sickness or health or issues with our bodies or circumstances and trials or challenges or whatever they may be or even as we look out on our world and we see the things around us and we see the brokenness we see the lostness we see the need in our nation we come very much humbled by the depth of our need and so we come before you in view that you are the one that we need in all things there's great need all around us, everywhere. And so as we come and pray before you, may you help those who are lost, who are blind that they may see, that they may know that Christ is the Lord and he is the Savior and he is the one who even now saves sinners. And we pray for our nation and we pray for our churches how greatly we are in need of your hand, O oh Lord. We need you to restore many things. We need renewal. We need revival. We need a hunger for your name, a hunger for godliness, an earnestness for Christ and the glory of Christ in everything. May you do that work in us and in our nation May you bring about repentance and faith and a humbling of peoples. We pray for a restoration of the sacredness and the blessing of biblical marriage. And we do not apologize for biblical marriage, for it is only the only true form of marriage that you have given between a man and a woman. And so we pray for that. We pray for it in our churches that we would stand upon your word in all humbleness and all graciousness and all Christ-likeness and all love, even as we extend our arms and seek to reach many for the gospel's sake. We pray that you would be with us and help grow us to be godly husbands and godly wives, that we would not Throw aside your word, but embrace it and eat it up like Jeremiah and eat up the words and take them on fully and completely for ourselves. May you help open our children's hearts to the gospel and helping them see the glorious news that this is. May they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And may our children rise up to go and preach your name and live for Christ in whatever you may call them to do, whether it is in uh, specific ministerial areas or if it is in a vocation where they are called to live out the Great Commission in every area of their life. And so help us, Father. Help our children and help us to obey the Great Commission, each and every single one of us, that we would obey your word and take it up and never put it down. 
May you help us, Father, in all of our weaknesses, in the depth of our need. May you be with us as we gather this morning, that it would be a blessing to us, that you would work in our hearts, that you help us to see that this gathering is unique. It is not something that we fulfill by simply watching online. That is not the gathering of believers. In fact, it is disobeying your word if we do not physically gather together. And so we pray that you would bless this physical gathering this morning. May you change and grow us by your word and by your spirit, we pray. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Esther. We'll be looking at Esther chapter 5 today. We'll be looking at the entirety of the chapter. So are you a risk taker? Now by that I mean if it came down to life or death and everything was on the line... Would you be that person that other people would go to? They would know that regardless of all perhaps the imperfections you may have or faults or whatever else, they know that you would go, that you would be the one to go and do it. Well, in many ways, we see the men and women of Scripture, they were just that. They were risk takers to greater or lesser degrees. However, they weren't just risk takers, you know, like, okay, well, I'll take a chance here, you know, maybe things will go well, you know, I hope everything will turn out fine in the end. They weren't just risk takers in that way, and they weren't just going out hoping in, you know, chance and circumstance. They weren't going out alone, were they? They were trusting and they were putting their faith not in themselves, but in God as they went out, as they risked, as they sought to go out, not knowing where they were going, not what lay ahead for them or any of those things, but they went out knowing that God knows all those things. I don't know all those things, but he does, so I'm going to go forward. And like I said, in the midst of all their imperfections, we see that of the men and women of Scripture. And in Exodus, you know, after Moses, he had heard that God would not be going up with them. I mean, oh my, just hear that. I mean, just think of that for yourself. If God is not going to be with you, how would you feel? Like, uh uh-oh, I mean, that is not okay. And so Moses, he prays in desperation before God. And he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Well, that's why we go. Not because... He isn't with us, but because God is with us. 
Well, Esther is about to do just that. She is about to go and risk everything. Upon hearing the decree of death for her people and being exhorted by Mordecai to go to the king, she said those famous words that we know so well, if I perish, I perish. And so the looming question then for us today is what will come of Esther? Let's find out. So I'll read here beginning in Esther chapter 5 verse 1. May God bless the reading, reception, and response to his infallible and errant word this morning. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I prepared for the king. And then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. And so the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And then Esther answered, My wish and my request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and he brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. And then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king, yet all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it, and then go joyfully with the king to the feast. And this idea pleased Haman. And he had 
the gallows may And so there she was, now there in the midst of the inner court. And if you were her, you really, you know, we take it for granted here perhaps, but you would not have known what was around the corner. All you know is that you are standing in the inner court and you are at that very moment either going to face death immediately as Josephus noted, that there were very likely people standing there with axes on the ready to cut people's heads off who come and approach the king without being asked. So you know that is a very real option for you. Or could it be that life is around the corner instead? She didn't know. She didn't know which one lied ahead for her, but what she did know is that the task had been given to her. It was not for someone else, but it was for her to speak. It was for her to act. It was for her to do it. And so death may well be the result, but so be it. And so what does she do? She steps out in faith, not because she knows what lies ahead, but because whatever may come, God knows what lies ahead and what happens. We see very quickly that Esther was received. Esther was received, and we see that in verses 1 through 8. So she was not put to death. And so rather immediately here, as we'll I'll kind of flesh out as we continue in these verses, we see a different Esther. Yes, we 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 already did meet Esther. You know, like what are you talking about? A different Esther? I mean I, I thought we met her like a little while ago. I don't think this is the different different Esther. I think it's the same person. We, yes, I mean it is it is the same person. This is the same Esther. But now we meet Queen Esther. We meet Queen Esther. And so there's been a transformation. So from chapters 2 through 4 to chapter 5, Esther has changed. So here we are seeing a different Esther. And, And so we find out right off the bat... It is now the third day since she called for a fast. We don't know exactly what she did during that time. You know, those three days of fasting. But we can imagine what those days might have been like. You know, we have good reason to believe that this was more than just fasting. You know, like a a secular sort of fasting. Like I'm not going to eat anything. No view of God. No view of any of those things. But we saw last time... That we have good reason to say that this, with Mordecai in chapter 4 and the Jews, as they fell on their face, they did not fall on their face to know God, they fell on their face before God. And so the same with Esther. And so she likely got on her face during those three days, and she prayed, and she cried out, and she very likely wept and 
thought and was afraid and fearful and planned and considered how will she go, what will she say, what will she do when she comes before the king. So that now, here she comes, not only taking on her role as queen, but unashamedly taking on her role as part of the people of God. Remember, she had said, in fact, she had said nothing. (laughs) She did not tell anyone that she belonged to the Israelites. But now, here she is, ready to say and speak it all. A different Esther. And so she comes ready to risk everything, and she will no longer hide who she is. And even though it is against the law, she goes and she stands in the inner court awaiting the decision of the king. We see the queen is favored by the king. Now you can imagine at this point how those present responded upon seeing her there in the inner court. It was not like they were expecting the queen to enter that day. I would imagine that they all kind of look over and kind of gasp. You just hear, you know, as you hear when something like wild happens in a gathering, like, oh, you know, you hear that gasp and shock from everyone present. And all eyes just kind of turn on Queen Esther. And then just as quickly as they're turning and looking at her, like, what? I mean, what is she doing here in the inner court of the king, just as quickly then, they go and turn their eyes to the king. And to see then how he is going to respond. What will he do? This is unheard of. And what we find again, we find that she finds favor Favor, and now that word there, favor, it's an important word. So verse 2, she won favor in his sight. And we saw that word first in chapter 2, if you remember. And when we saw that word, and when you see that word, as we're seeing it again and again, that is no coincidence. Make no mistake here, this is... God doing something. And so though here the king, as he talks to Esther, it's partially a cultural kind of formality. The king, he asks her what her request is, even up to half of the kingdom. It's repeated twice to emphasize that she has the favor of the king. And so as you're reading all that, as you're seeing favor, our, our uh, reaction there is not just to simply say, well, that's kind of nice. I'm glad it turned out that way. No. Instead, what we're seeing is Proverbs 21, verse 1, happening with our own eyes. And you're like, okay, well, what in the world is that saying? Well, look at the screen. <laughs> or your Bible in Proverbs 21, 1. Is happening here. And so the king's heart 
is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So it is God who is behind this, this favoring of Esther. And so as we see all this, there is much that we can, we can learn from Esther here. That in times of risk or just you know, life in general, like Esther, may we learn to be bold and wise. To be bold and wise. And that is what she was. You know, she didn't go in, you know, with guns blazing, you know, barging in, like blowing up the doors, like, you know, like going into the king and saying, hey, you, I have something I need to talk to you about, Mr. Mr. Big Shot. You know, all those feasts you had, Mr. Greatness. You know that Haman that you so trust in? Well, he's a devil. Yeah, you've been listening to him a lot, haven't you? Well, do you know what he did? Well, no. I mean, is, is that how she comes in here? I, I mean, not at all. That's not at all what she does. Doesn't come barging in, acting like she owns the place. Well, I think that's sometimes how we think of boldness. The only picture many times that we have in our mind of boldness is this imagery of Jesus going in and just turning over the tables. And that's the kind of boldness that we just kind of think that we're to always have as we approach life and challenges and conflicts or relationships or people or disagreements. Well, boldness, biblical boldness, it includes wisdom. It includes wisdom. Here we see she does everything that she can to defer to the king. I mean, she, she honors him. She touches the scepter. And she even has a feast prepared for him. And so she is wisely showing him honor and is careful you can if you could hear her tone and hopefully i was trying to convey that in the reading is that there's something there where she is being very careful that she's not going to do anything that might embarrass him or dishonor his position especially with everyone else watching in this kind of very very odd and distinct moment And perhaps as she's doing this, she's thinking of Vashti, you know? And I think she probably was. You'll remember how Vashti responded to the king. <laughs> it didn't go well, did it? Banished. She, she did not listen to the king. She did not come at the king's bidding. I'm not saying the king was right. <laughs> I mean... The things that he was asking her to do, that was not right. But Queen Esther is thinking, okay, well, I need to go about this a certain way. And that's not it. I need to aim to honor. I need to aim to defer. I need to aim to serve King Ahasuerus. And so she's planning her actions 
and her words very carefully. It wasn't just that she needs to come in there and inform him. Like, I need to tell you what Haman's doing or what this big decree was really all about and that I'm a part of the people of God. That's not it. Or that she would just come in and plead with him. That's not all that was needed here. There was much more on the line than just that. And so there was much on the line in respect to the king as well. Remember how much the king was like about himself and about his greatness? I mean, he will guard that greatness with everything he is. And so you remember then, what did the king do? Well, there's some things here that have to be dealt with. And Esther knows that. The the decree had been signed with the king's signet ring. That means it was essentially him. He was the one who had signed it. And so to go back on his word was no small thing. And so she knew that, that that would be an obstacle, a massive one. Because remember, again, the king cares about his reputation. So he's not going to be like, okay, well, I don't care. I mean, you know, I don't, what people think and whether they think, you know, I'll stand upon one by my word. And then to add to that, not to mention the fact that Haman, if you remember, had basically said, I will pay you 10,000 talents, which was a massive, massive amount of money. And so the king was going to immensely gain from this decree. And so Esther has to come about this very, very carefully. Oh, and Haman needs to be there too. (laughs) And so we see here her deference, her honor, and asking to come away from the inner court to a feast, away from all these things, was wise. And how different this is And Esther and her wisdom here is different from the sort of boldness that we see today. We think that being loud is being bold. We think that being mean or being direct is being bold. Or even being brash is boldness. Well, friends, that is not biblical boldness. Biblical boldness is different. When you hear someone being loud, you need to hear this. Loud is not wisdom. Bare words alone are not wisdom. We are to be informed and to look at and to examine everything with the fear of the Lord God. As our standard, we come looking at everything. Someone yelling loudly at us. Someone standing up when no one else will. We need to ask the question. But is it true? Is it true to what God's word says? Is this the way that God would have us go? Is this being done in the fear of God or something else? And so we are to be wisely bold. And along with that, looking at Esther, 
here, we're to be bold and humble. Be bold and humble. She came laying her life aside. She came laying herself over there. I mean, she could die, but it wasn't about her anymore. And so we are to have lives that are to be like that. We are not to defer and to to give our lives to all variety of things in this world, but we are certainly to give our lives and defer to our King, Jesus Christ. And everything we defer to Him and everything we say, I want to follow what your word says. And everything we say, yes, Lord, if it means my life, I will still do it. And that's humility. Not simply deferring to ideas and the way of the world and the way we have been trained in the world. But are we trained in the word of God and the kind of humility that it shows? It's living a life that says that his word is better. I can trust it and I will do it. And so be bold and humble. And as part of humility, be bold and pray. Be bold and pray. You know, back in chapter 4, verse 16... We saw there that she, Esther, called for everyone to fast. And she asked everyone to stop everything and to do what? Which we said was reasonable to stop everything and pray. And they did. And what happened? Well, we see here, I believe. God answered. He answered their prayer. She was received by the king and she was favored. I wonder how much stock that you personally put into prayer. Do you personally Get on your face before the God who has saved you, before the God who has made you, for the God who at this very moment is causing and even allowing your heart to continue beating. Do you get before him regularly? You know, Charles Spurgeon, he says of prayer, a Christian's vigor, happiness, growth, and usefulness all depend upon prayer. I'll read it again. A Christian's vigor. Do you have that? Happiness. Do you have that? Growth. Are you growing? And usefulness. Are you useful? All depend upon prayer. So for us, for those who know Jesus Christ, prayer is like oxygen to our lungs. It is something that we do because we love our God. We adore our God. 
We want more of him. We want him in our lives. We want him in our churches. We want him behind everything that we do because we love him. We enjoy him. We're living for him. We're not living for a bigger house. We're not living for more money. We're not living for promotions. We're not living to make our reputation and success bigger. We're living for Christ. So you want to know how to nurture the highest and best sort of prayer? Now you better pay attention here because this is going to be very, very complicated and very difficult. You know how? By pray. By pray. How to nurture the highest and best sort of prayer? Well, by praying. So pray. So take time and set aside time to pray. Do that, but keep going as well. You know, pray like in the morning. If you pray, then have a set time to pray before God. Or if it's in, in the evening or at night before you go to get bed. So pray then and then pray after that too. Pray as you go through the day. Pray before meals. Pray together as a family. Pray with those in need. Pray as you go to bed and as you lay your head on the pillow at night. Pray. Like breathing. Oh. Prayer is to me, is to be a heart. And so maybe we haven't seen God do something because of just that reason is that we need to pray. I mean, how great it would be that it would be said of us and they prayed and God answered. Why? Because we are not going about all of this raising of our children or going to your job or the things of the church and ministry or aiming to share Christ. We're not going out depending on ourselves any longer, but we're going dependent on him. That's what you're saying when you pray. That's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I can't do this. I'm not enough for this. I can't pastor, you know. I'm not sufficient for these things. But you are. You can help me. You can help me prepare Esther chapter 5. You can give me grace to come up here and preach every Sunday. You can give me grace to minister when I am so inadequate as well. And he can give you grace as you seek to do what you do and as you seek to lead and love your family and to walk in his ways. So are you depending on God this morning? Well, a quick and ready way to know the answer to that question is do you pray? And if you don't, you have your answer. And so be bold and pray. 
And then lastly, on this first point, be bold and stand with the people of God. Be bold and stand with the people of God. That's what Esther was doing. She must reveal who she is here. She's no longer hiding who she is, nor will she. And so like I said a moment ago, this is a different Esther. Something has changed in her from chapter 4 to chapter (laughs) 5. She is different. She is aligning herself with God's people. She is unashamedly now saying that I belong to them and I belong to him. Well, this morning and maybe for a long time now, you have been acting like Esther. Pre-chapter 5. Maybe you've been hiding away. Not making it clear that you are a Christian to those around you. So maybe you need to cease hiding today as well. Now, I know. I know what our culture is saying. I know what they're doing. I see the news as you do. You know, I see all those things. I hear all these things. You think it's popular being a pastor today? It may have been years ago, but not anymore. But when you tell someone you're a pastor, guess, what's happen- guess what happens? Oh, hey, hey i got to talk to this guy over here. Nice to meet you. That's the general response. I know what our culture is doing and what it's saying and what it does to us. But let me ask you, in view of all these things, in view of Esther and her response, what are you doing? It doesn't ultimately matter what our culture is doing. I mean, since Genesis chapter 3, we have lived in a sinful, broken world. And if you don't know yet, it's always been bad. Like, since then, it's always been bad. I mean, people have been killed and murdered and evil has existed and bad things have happened. Rebellion has been great. People have been rebelling against God, worshiping false gods. And so nothing has changed. It's the same thing today. And so the question is, what are you doing? It doesn't matter what they're doing. They're doing exactly what they've always done. What are you doing? Dear brothers and sisters, you are not called to hide, but to stand with the people of God, to be the light in the world, to live for Christ, and to tell people about Christ, to take your lamp out from under a basket. And so may you do that. May you stand with the people of God. And so we see then a different Esther here. And by the grace of God, we see that she was received. And yet after Esther was received, we see the second part of our verses here. 
that Haman was demeaned. Haman was demeaned. So verses 9 through 14. So Haman, at this point, I mean, he's a happy guy, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he leaves the palace with a glad heart. I mean, I'd imagine him kind of, you know, walking along like John Travolta, you know, maybe strolling, strolling or strutting, you know, as he does. You know, I'm going to strut. Well, that's probably what he did. He burst open the doors like, I'm going to strut. And he's strutting and whistling and skipping as he goes. But then, old happy Mordecai here, he finds, or old happy Haman finds Mordecai again. (laughs) And Mordecai does not flinch. Not a wink of homage to Haman. Again. (laughs) And Haman is not happy again. Which is close to what his name is about. Haman and Hamer, the word for wrath in Hebrew, are close. And I don't think that's accidental. And so we see then Haman's pride over one man not paying him homage and so from all indications here Mordecai he was a lone ranger you know in other words everyone else around Haman was playing paying homage to Haman and it doesn't it just just was not him it just was not Mordecai and that was the problem right and Haman was the kind of man who demanded honor He demanded deference. He demanded your respect. And he cannot bear that even one person would not be paying him homage. And so we see a bunch of idolatry here in Haman's heart. Idols of praise and idols of self. And then we see Haman's pride over what he had done. <laughs> so we see Haman's pride over what he had done. And so as he goes home, he goes and calls all of his friends together and his wife. And he lays out the issue that he's facing. You know, all this suffering that he's you know, going through with Mordecai not paying him homage. And he shares with them how great he is, right? You know, this high view of himself. And so we see it there in verse 11. And Haman, I, mean, I, I would love to be there. Wouldn't you just love to be there and just be listening to that? I mean, do you have a friend who's like that? Who's just like, yeah, I'm pretty great stuff, you know. Let me tell you all the things that I've done, you know. Nobel Peace Prize, PhD, you know, I have like seven children. They're all Christians, you know. <laughs> so, and they just keep going on and on and on. Well, here is Haman. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches. Thank you for that, Haman. The number of his sons. All the promotions with which the king had honored him. And he keeps going and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. So in other words, Haman thinks he's hot stuff. And that's the problem, isn't it? He is not okay with anything less than that. I mean, even if just one person does not acknowledge his greatness... He is absolutely furious. 
And so we see his pride was 75 feet tall. Now you're like, okay, what in the world are you talking about? You know, where do I get that? Well, who needs gallows that are 50 cubits high? 75 feet high. (laughs) Do you need gallows that high? Here was someone who has lifted himself above everyone else. And so as someone who cannot take even one person not paying him homage, he must shame, he must defame, he must degrade Mordecai in such a way that the whole city sees that this is what happens if you cross Haman. And you would see it way up high all around the city. There's Mordecai. What did he do? Oh, he he didn't pay homage to Haman. Oh, well, I better do that. Well, I'll do that even more now than I did before. And so Haman, he likes his entourage's counsel here and he builds the gallows. Now, in short order, not yet, (laughs) we'll see what happens with a lofty pride like that. And a brief preview, what happens, it comes crashing down upon the person like this. And so, friends, make no mistake, pride is dangerous. Pride, it blinds and hinders true flourishing. It does that for you, and it does that for others. Haman does not see anything or anyone else besides himself. The only right point of view is his own, you know? So pride, hear me, here is not your friend. If everywhere you go, everyone else is wrong, and you are the only one who is right, let me tell you this now, and please, please hear me, because you're probably not going to hear me if you're thinking this way. This is your demeanor. This is the way you live. You're not going to hear me. So please, I plead with you, hear me. That is a problem. Like, Houston, we have a problem. That's not okay. And I guarantee you, that you are leaving some wreckage in your wake. And you are not right all the time. (laughs) Neither am I. Now it's even worse though when you put two words together. What words? Proud and Christian. That's oxymoronic, inappropriate. I mean, does a proud ant make itself bigger? (laughs) I mean, does a proud mouse increase its size? Well, neither does pride in our hearts, friends. Pride in our hearts, it imagines that you are a giant while everyone else around you, they're just a bunch of specks of dust. You look down at them. 
I always know better. But we need to see the silliness and the foolishness of pride. Before God, every single one of us, we are grasshoppers. (laughs) I mean, Isaiah, he says in Isaiah 40, verse 22, it is He, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, not you. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. But the proud don't see it that way. And that's why I'm pleading with you this morning. Haman didn't see it this way. His pride hated and even aimed itself like a weapon at someone to destroy them. And so whether it is mild or whether it is great, may we not treat lightly that fiend in our hearts called pride. It controls, it demands, it expects, and yet it is blind, it is deceived. Years ago, there was a story told of an evangelist before Billy Graham and all those guys today. So this evangelist, you know, uh, he was going around and he was critiquing local ministers in the city. And so a man overhears his critique and he calls upon then this local minister And he tells them all that this evangelist is saying about everybody. (laughs) And so he said to the minister, you know, I went to hear the evangelist today or last night, and do you know what he said? He said that Dr. So-and-so over there, that they're not a converted man. He was not a converted man. And so the local minister, upon hearing this, he leaps up out of his seat in anger and indignation, and he cries out, well, that rascal, the rascal... Dear Dr. So-and-so, not a converted man, whatever, huh? And so then the, the visitor that's relaying all this, the local minister, kind of is surprised and taken aback by this response of the minister. And he said, well, you know, that, that's not all that was said. That's not all that he said, you know. He said, you're not a converted man either. Upon hearing this, the minister, he stopped. He fell back in his seat and all his indignation just fled from him. And as he sank there in his chair, he put his face in his hands and he didn't speak. And then with great seriousness, he told the visitor, Oh, leave me, friend. I must examine my own heart. And that's the right response. That's the right response. Too often we give pride in our hearts a pass. We say, well, it, I, I see it there. But it's okay. Well, this morning is a good time not to do that. To not give pride a pass in your heart. 
Maybe pride has become deeply rooted in your heart and a right response is exactly that of the ministers. Leave me, friend, I must examine my heart because it is that serious. What did Paul say to do? To test yourselves and make sure that you're in the faith? Well, that's what the minister's doing. Oh my, you're right. So in view of all these things, let me give two brief exhortations. Rather than having pride that is 75 feet tall, learn from Esther and even learn from Haman and aim for the glory that comes from God. Aim for the glory that comes from God. That is a right target. That is a target worthy of your aim. Why? Because the glory that comes when God, that is the glory that comes when God is big and we are small. Because that's how we are to view ourselves. That's what happens when we are humble, is the glory that comes from him. When we are on our faces, when we see pride in our heart and we don't say, no, no, I'm going to keep going. But we get in our face and we say, I'm going to examine my heart before you. And then second, exhortation, aim for the glory of your king. Aim for the glory of your king. And how wisely Esther approached King Ahasuerus here. Well, may we take heart and take to heart what we sang just a moment ago. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. So maybe like Esther or unlike Esther, all of us, one day we will appear before the throne of God above and any other plea than Christ will not do. So this morning, if you don't know Christ, may Christ be your only plea when you come before God on that day. Because you will. <laughs> May the king of glory be your king. So aim in your life, in your desires, in your home, and in all things for his glory and not yours. So as you consider and we consider Esther and Haman here, consider yourself, examine yourself this morning in view of Esther's boldness and Haman's
pride. And may your response be as the many saints who have gone before you, the risk takers of old. May it be that by faith be bold and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we we come before you right now and we pray as we see these two different pictures here of Esther's deep boldness, wisdom, humility, prayerfulness, unashamedness, and Haman's deep, deep pride and idols upon idols. We come before you this morning and we pray that you would help us and humble us, Lord. You would change us and transform us and maybe that means we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ this morning. If there's anyone here who does not know Christ, may their only only plea be Christ, the prophet, priest, and king. And if As we've heard these things, we see pride in our hearts. We see a lack of humility, a lack of true boldness. May you transform us, Lord, this morning. May we examine ourselves. May you conform us to your son. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.